Hello there. Thank you for inviting me into your eardrums. I'm Sarah Wendell. This is Smart Podcast Trashy Books, episode number 439. And for our final later 2020 episode, Shana and Claudia and Carrie and I are going to talk about books, rereading, knitting, comfort reading, switching genres, books set in California, and the different ways in which to be kick-ass. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes looking back at 2020. We're going to try to gather more often this year because I have heard from some of you that you really like it when we all talk about books together, which, you know, is our favorite thing to do. So to you, Happy New Year, and thank you for listening. And thank you for keeping me company while I keep you company. This podcast episode is brought to you in part by Headspace. If you are one of 34% of Americans who made resolutions to be less stressed, or if you are a person who is not in the U.S., but you have also made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So, whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're feeling overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation. If you need help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. Amanda loves those. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I have been using Headspace for over 50 consecutive days, and I really, really love it. I'm working on their 365 course, which is 10-minute meditation sessions every day for 365 days, does what it says on the tin, and I feel more relaxed and adaptable to whatever weirdness happens during the day. Also, my cat and my dog really like my meditation habit because they like to sit next to me and demonstrate the proper technique of falling asleep while I do the meditation. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Sarah. That's headspace.com slash Sarah for a one-month free trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now, so head to headspace.com slash Sarah today. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community for being so excellent. If you have supported the show, you help keep the show going, and you help make sure every episode has a transcript, and you're making everything accessible to everyone, which is very important to me and to the many listeners and readers who like to read along and listen at the same time. If you'd like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com slash smartpitches. Monthly pledges start at $1, and each pledge makes a massive difference. So thank you. This podcast is also brought to you by Native. Native aluminum-free deodorant is a great addition to your 2021 routine. I am not used to saying 2021, by the way. I really have to think about it. God help me when I write a check. Native cares about what you put on your armpits. That's why their deodorant's ingredients list includes things you've actually heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. Another plus, none of their products are tested on animals and almost everything is vegan. Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping in the U.S. plus free 30-day returns and exchanges, and they have options. They have a line of sensitive deodorants for people with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free deodorants if you're trying to cut out your plastic consumption, and even an unscented option. If you want to try a little something different, check out their rotating seasonal scents. Right now, they have blood orange and clove, candy cane, or buttercream and French vanilla. You can even subscribe to Native so you'll never have to sweat about running out of deodorant again. Mad props to whoever wrote that. That's brilliant. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo.com slash trashybooks or use promo code trashybooks at checkout and you will get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash trashybooks or use promo code trashybooks at checkout for 20% off your first order. If you are thinking, wow, Sarah sounds really relaxed. Well, that's because I am. I bought myself a heating pad for my desk chair, and now I just sit back and relax in blissful, blissful warmth all the time, which means 
I am super relaxed right now. If you can give yourself this upgrade and your back hurts sometimes like I do because aging, heating pad on the desk chair, ooh, is it nice. I will have links to everything that we talk about in this episode in the show notes, and I will end with a truly ghastly joke. But for now, let's do this podcast, our final episode looking back and saying bye-bye to 2020 with Shayna, Claudia, and Carrie. First question, what book or piece of media, being very broad here on purpose, got you through 2020 or was one of your highlights? Who wants to go first or should I call names? I want to go first. Okay, go ahead, Shayna. Because it's easy for me when I thought about what actually got me through it's something I read pre-pandemic, <laughs> which is The Deep by River Solomon. So it's the mermaid sci-fi book. It's all about like the descendants of women from slave ships during the, the transatlantic slave shade who like turned into this whole mermaid society. It's not a romance, but there is like a love story. And I think there's a happy ending. Um, but it's just like, it's such a beautiful book. It's really poetic. I read it when I was on a boat. So I was surrounded by water, reading about like these mermaids and their like society underwater. And it's all about like collective grief and like forgetting things and needing to remember the kind of history that might be painful to remember, but is important, which I don't know. It's just, it was perfect for 2020 for me. I think because I, I have this strong memory of reading it on the beach. So when things were bad, I just went back to like my strong book memory. It's both about the book, which is, it's a beautiful book, but it's also just like how I felt lying on the beach, reading the book and just so at peace. And then like literally a week later, <laughs> life was a disaster. Isn't it funny how sometimes the place and the circumstance in which you read a book becomes indelible to the book itself so that when you reread it there's a piece of that experience alongside of it Mm -hmm. yeah I have a few of those that are vacation reads you know yeah it's just such a beautiful break and I do try to like to read books that are about the place that I'm vacationing which I guess maybe this was because I was by the ocean and it was under the ocean but usually it's more like I'm in Canada (laughs) let's read a Jackie Lau book (laughs) And that, that's a pretty powerful book to keep you going through the year. Yeah, it was great. I think I should reread it, actually, because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Isn't it great when a book just sort of takes up residence in your head and it's sort of like, you know, can always come reread. It takes um, a lot for me to reread a book. I am not really a rereader. Oh, really? I'm not. There's just too many books to read. I want to do the new things. I'm like that with knitting, too. Like, did that pattern? Why would I do it again? I want to knit a new pattern, like a new recipe. So it's a really special book when I actually reread it. Wow, that is an endorsement. That's awesome. I, I know that's not your style, though. I know you've been doing a lot of rereading this year. I, I I do. I totally get not being able to reread. Like, one of my children is very disinterested in rereading. Um, though I have gotten him to start listening to books that he's already read, which he finds very peaceful because he knows the story, but gets to hear it being told to him. He's very into audiobooks at the moment, which is good because we all need a different coping mechanism every other day. Right. Right. Yeah. But for me, rereading is all of the enchantment of the story. None of the heavy cognitive lifting of imagining everything because I've already done that work. Mm -hmm. Same thing with video games. Like if I maneuver through a video game, I make choices to tell the story, but a lot of it is already built, including the visuals and the sound. So it's less work for my cognitive imagination to have to do. So when my brain is tired, it's like, let's go play Witcher and pick flowers and kill bandits and loot their underpants for chicken sandwiches. This sounds great. That's literally a thing you do. You pick flowers and then you kill bandits. And some of them are just wearing their medieval tidy whities And then you loot them and they've got a whole chicken. Okay. I've never wanted to play video games more than I do at this moment. Like, have you considered marketing video games, like, as an alternate career? Because <laughs> that was very compelling. Pick flowers. Sometimes there's monsters. You kind of have to kill them. It's kind of annoying. But, yeah, you pick flowers, you kill bandits, you loot their pants for chicken. It's great. <laughs> Sometimes you get a ham sandwich. It's pretty great. <laughs> that is a good pick, though. I like that one. I'm not sure how I feel about eating a sandwich that came out of somebody's underwear. Well, sometimes <laughs> I'm eating raw meat. I mean, The Witcher is very weird. He has a very 
a very high energy load because he's using all this magic. But um, yeah, you you eat whatever comes out of a bandit's pants. If it's food, apparently Wait, it's is, fair game. Is this the one that the TV show is based on? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea it was a video game. Oh yeah, well at first it was a series of books um, that are like the thing that Poland is most proud of exporting culturally is this series. Like when President Obama visited Poland, they gave him a signed set of all of the Witcher books. Wow. Wait, oh. this is that that Polish um, video game company that I just read an article about it in the paper where they have the new cyberpunk and it was like a disaster. Complete like- disaster. City Project Red. Yes, it's okay. a complete disaster. It is so error filled. Okay, so I just recorded at one my time with Amanda and Kiki and Amanda <laughs> Amanda was talking about playing cyberpunk she is this badass character and her clothes keep glitching so she has this leather jacket but her boobs are showing through it okay I look forward to listening I have that. pictures they are incredible they are just incredible I'm going to see if I can actually hold my phone up to the camera because the tits that the, the, yeah the tit glitch is incredible but yes it's the same company but witcher 3 is just it's such a good game and it is so visually interesting and the story is so good all right let me okay i'm going self view on there we go <laughs> she's such a badass just tits oh tits right in the middle there just just <laughs> Nips blasting the zombies, right? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, carry your face. <laughs> All right, I want to hear what other books people want to Yeah, hear. yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Carrie, you want to go? I don't know. I, I think I need to go lie down for a while. <laughs> Recover. Okay, um, so I think it's really interesting, Shana, that you talked about The Deep because I really love that book. But it, it was really hard for me to read. It's a harrowing read. And I think that's interesting because I found that my lighter books, a lot of my normal comfort reads, romance, I'm sorry, I love you romance, you'll always be my heart. But that did not cut it. Like I needed stories, except for a few romances that were pretty gritty. I needed stories about resilience. Um, I did an author interview where an author talked about grit being a value in her family. And she wrote a book. Um, uh, copy boy it's by Shelley Blatton Stroud um, and it deals a lot with the issue of grit and so when I thought about what book or books got me through like there was a bunch of books there's you know definitely not like a single one but they all sort of had this quality of of um, resilience what helps people survive difficulty um, and then as far as like a defining book though that most influenced my year I would have to say um, How to Be Anti-Racist by um, Ibram X. Kindi. Um, that was a really important book for me this year. I read it right either right before or during the, the summer when there were a lot of Black Lives Matter protests that my family was trying to participate in. And it really helped shape and change a lot of my ideas about what racism is and how to approach it. Which is something that I I feel like as a white person is something that will always be a work in progress for me. So I really recommend that book. I thought that book was amazing. And I found myself reading, I read a lot of nonfiction this year. I read a lot of um, nonfiction about World War II, interestingly, which was maybe not great for my mental health right before the election. Um, I ended up getting really obsessed with making sure that we all had like all our papers in order, which I think is, first of all, not a bad idea. But second of all, maybe driven by reading a little too many World War II nonfiction books at one time. Calm down. Um, to, be, to, be, to be fair, to be fair, I have done the same thing quarterly. In the winter, I check my emergency supplies in my car. And once a quarter, I have a reminder to make sure that all of our passports are current and up to date and that all of our things are in one place. So it's, it's a normal, abnormal thing to do, I think. Well, and I think that there was a certain obsessive quality to it that was not healthy. But having said that, I think that there is a pragmatic thing that does not need to be tied to obsession and anxiety. It's just a normal thing we all have to do no matter where we live. Mm-hmm. That you have about three days worth of emergency supplies and you know where all your 
you know, important documents are. That's that's just life, right? That's always been life. You need to have those things in order. But um, some of the emotional baggage around it maybe came from a few more too many World War II books. Um, and I read a lot of um, horror, but the kind of horror where people are like resilient and victorious at the end. Although, wait, how can I now say what the horror is? Because I'll have spoiled it. Uh, but I reviewed it all in Smart Bitches. So, yeah. Books about resilience, which I think, you know, going back to the deep is a book that's hard to read because there's so much trauma, but it's also so powerful in terms of that immense, you know, resilience and reclaiming and, and reforming. I just, I just really needed a lot of that this year. I, I get it. I've been reading a mix of fiction and nonfiction too. I totally understand. Claudia, what about you? What have you, what has, what has gotten you through 2020? This is going to sound strange because I'm going to highlight a book that I read in January before, you know, things got really dire. Apparently and that was still 2020. <laughs> yes, but I think. Y- y- less I checked, it is, but it just didn't feel like it, right? Because 2020 was defined so much by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So to me, it really... This year started in March, and I'm, I'm hoping it will end sometime 2021, but it's going to be longer, right, than, than just the 12 months that we've been through. So, mm-hmm. so the first one was The Lord I Left, and the other one is the one that I just read like four weeks ago or three weeks ago, 10 Things I Hate About the Duke by Loretta Chase. And at first blush, you think they have nothing in common. But I think the unifying theme for me is that, well, both are very funny. And also, more than anything, I think in those books, the writers really took risks. And I've been reflecting, this is something that I've been thinking about, is how hard to find a writer that really takes risks and goes out of their comfort zone these days, right? So I think this was also a year that, for me, was defined by getting out of my comfort zone a little bit. Um, I stayed within romance, but read different subgenres, which was nice. And of course, I did the rereading that a lot of us did. But going to different little niches of romance was really uplifting and really interesting to me as well. Wait, what are the different subgenres you started reading? Did you finally start reading about alien sex? I want to (laughs) know. I read a lot of fantasy, but not alien fantasy. <laughs> there's always 2021. <laughs> Whenever, yes, I'll, I'll be ready for it. I, I, yeah, a lot of fantasy romance, which is sort of like historical romance adjacent, I think. Mm-hmm. So not entirely out of my comfort zone, but like baby steps. I, I read a, a couple of good contemporary romance as well and you and I discussed a a couple of them so that was also fun but yeah work in progress cool Shana what is your question for the group well my question is about California because we are all Californians Sarah's an honor a Californian obviously dude (laughs) how was that was that good that was really impressive. Thank you, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, what do you look for in a book that is set in California? Like what? Fire. Lots of fire. Fire. Yeah. Fire and I, sunscreen. Not realistic. Because <laughs> that would be realistic. That would be depressing. <laughs> fire, sunscreen, tacos, hiking. Yeah. Oh, and and, and edibles. uh, What? Tacos, I feel like, is the only thing on your list that I would actually want. (laughs) How how did we make Sarah an honorary Californian? I missed that. (laughs) I... And I'm not, I'm not convinced by the dude. No, people can't see us. But when she said dude, was that good? Shana is like so supportive and sweet. She's nodding. And I'm like, no. (laughs) I think it just uh, happened, Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) I like a book to get the details right. I like it when they get so, um, you know, in, in, um, Parable of the Sober by Octavia Butler, which which fits um, Sarah's category of having fire and what else? But does I don't remember tacos. any tacos. 
though. <laughs> um, it's dystopian and you know it's dystopian because there's no tacos that's that's how you know but they you know these people do this this trek along um i'm sorry i can't remember now if it's i5 or 99 but but the the group that i read it in we were all from california and we all recognized like every rest stop that was mentioned you know we knew what that was like and there's um a really good book which i apologize because now i forgot the name of it maybe i'll stealth google while someone else is talking um, which is another dystopia about California. And I don't need them all to be dystopian. This is coincidence. But, you know, like the last bastion holding the line against the drought, you know, covered with sand, but the town won't leave is Needles, California. And I'm like, oh, of course it would be Needles, California. Like, obviously. So I feel like when, when they get, it doesn't have to be like every sentence is about, you know, and then we stop at the Starbucks on Eastern and what? I don't need it to be that specific, but I want the details to make sense. Hmm. I do feel like Parable of the Sower has the suburbs like as its location is kind of my memory. And so they've kind of like barricaded themselves in their suburban houses. That feels very Californian in times of dystopia. Totally, totally. So it starts off, they're like in this little gated community. But now gated communities are like these little kind of fortress communities. And it just feels very like, well, yes, of course, that's what would happen. Yes, obviously. And, you know, and I've read a lot of, of, of lighter books that are, you know, my, um, a friend of mine, Eileen Rindall, she has a series of paranormals that takes place in and around Sacramento, California, which mm-hmm. is where I live. And so, you know, when she talks about the underground tunnels below old Sacramento, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a real thing. I've been there. Where I'm sure other, you know, people from other parts of the country are like, she made that up. No, no, it's a thing. Go hang out in the underground tunnels and do the tour and hang out. There's a whole, yeah. I did the tour. I did. I took my sister when she came to visit. And it's amazing. Like that's So that's my thing. I like it. When the, and when people use the details, not so much like they're just name dropping, but as an inventive part of the organic part of the story that, that, that makes it feel really grounded and rooted to me. Yeah, I think a lot of my favorite books about California kind of compartmentalize the different parts of the state. So mm-hmm. like um, Jasmine Gillier's books that are very either Southern California or Northern California focused and I don't know that there's really a rivalry, but you like really get a sense of the culture, mm-hmm. even though tacos are important in both. Like San Francisco is so tiny and insular and you, it's 50 square miles. Anywhere you go, you're 20 minutes away has, you know, so it was a very different experience. I was starting to think the roommate has an interesting uh, part and uh, she doesn't drive and she moves to LA and that's a big part of the you know it's a it's the middle part of the book and, and she borrows his car and she's uh, driving in the freeway and not really experienced it, it's funny because yeah I, I don't do that hardly ever I don't go on the freeway I don't drive much not well not now but even uh, when we are all going places so I, I don't have that many great examples of, of books set in California, but I, I'm, I agree with Carrie. It has to give me some sense. It has to get the details right. What about books that are set in San Francisco? Because that's almost like a whole other genre. I, was, I, I thought of a couple, but it was just, you know, San Francisco's background, basically. There was nothing there that made it any different than anybody, any other place. I can't think of anything set in San Francisco except for Full House. <laughs> right? And the old-timey, like, you know, Raymond Chandler books. That That is. <laughs> but no, yeah. If I, if I, like, send you guys, like, this huge list of San Francisco books, is that, like, endearingly nerdy? Or is that just really irritating? <laughs> no, I'm In- like, what? <laughs> very endearing. Send away. I agree. <laughs> Um, and I did find, by the way, that the, the, the novels that it makes you was Don't Kill the Messenger by Eileen Rendall. It's a trilogy. And um, Claire Vey Watkins um, has a novel called Gold Fame Citrus. And that's the one where the last bastion is Needles, California. All the stubborn people live. 
And here's a San Francisco book for you that was on my list of books that kind of helped me get through 2020 was that book I mentioned, Copy Boy, which takes place in Depression era Sacramento and San Francisco. Hmm. Uh, and that's the one by Shelley Blayton Straub. So cool. there's one. There's Thanks one. for being a Californian expert, Carrie. That's well, how- I think I had to do, well, oh, I had to do like a thing on, for the library once on climate change literature in California. And then I also had, to, I also know a bunch of like local authors and stuff. So that just like, I had to like do a lot of nerd things. Thank so. you for being our nerd. Aww. I, I second that. Shana, do you have an answer for your question? Um, well, I was going to say the book I just read, If the Boot Fits mm-hmm. by Rebecca Weatherspoon. I felt like that has a lot of what I look for in a California book. Well, first, like food, and then also making fun of Californian food, like the juice bar kind of culture. There's like a character who needs everything to be like organic and like raw and like on the keto diet or something. Um, and there's a whole part of it that is outside of the city in a ranch. And I feel like a lot of the city or a lot of the state is actually like farmland and like rural, but a lot of the books are set in cities as though that part of the, the state doesn't exist. So I really like that part. The cowboys keep black cowboys on their horses, like out in nature. I don't know how realistic that is, but I enjoyed reading it and I would like it to be the California I live in. So maybe that's why I like the book. So uh, Sarah, you may just have to like mute me because I feel like I'm talking too much. But when I was a kid, we used to go hang out in Antelope Valley, which is right on the other side of the Sierras from where Sacramento is. Um, and I would go wake up really early in the morning and I would, and we stayed in this tiny little motel that like five people had ever stayed in. And I would go for walks along the, the highway, which I forgot the name of, but um a lot of the times early in the morning, I would see actual cowboys with their little dogs on their horses. You know, I mean, the cowboys were on the horses and the little dogs like herding the cattle. And I always feel really lucky that I saw that because I don't know, is that something that's going to last forever or, or not? But I can tell you that as of um, many, 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 many years ago, that was a thing in Antelope Valley. I used to see them. And then I go hang out with the, the truckers at the little diner and, they would give the truckers their coffee and they give me a cup of hot cocoa with extra whipped cream. And I was like this tiny little person, you know. Aww. Yeah. So I like, I like things about California that, that also that point out that California is like multiple different countries at once. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Have not you read liberal and it's not all tacos and the regional stuff. Is I don't so believe different. you about the taco part. I was I just, about to say, Carrie, you lost me there with the tacos. Yeah. Oh, I don't believe you about the tacos. tacos. <laughs> Have you read the uh, Beverly Jenkins series that took place at the setting of California, at the foundation of California? It's definitely on my list. Oh, my oh, gosh. So Wait, which one is that? Um, the Destiny Trilogy. In the first one, the heroine leaves Philadelphia and accepts a mail-order bride offer from a person who is in pre-statehood California. And a lot of the history of the founding of California is in the book. And it's so interesting. Didn't we read Destiny's Captive? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Destiny's Surrender, yeah. Destiny's Captive, and then Destiny, the Lady is a Pirate, but I don't remember which one that is. Oh, that's the one that Carrie and I read. Yes, Destiny, Lady Pirate. <laughs> I know a lot of times, you know, authors that have done their research, like they could, they could, they, when they're inventive, I love it. So there was a book, and I forgot the name of it, and frankly, that's okay because the book wasn't very good. But I gave it a full extra grade level because it had one scene where the big earthquake hit San Diego while a woman and everybody is okay. A woman and her toddler are driving over the Coronado Bridge when the earthquake hits and the bridge cracks. And I've been over that bridge a bunch of times and it's freaking terrifying. And I had to give the book the entire extra grade level because... It gave me such a profound panic attack. <laughs> you did your homework in a way that has terrified me. Thank you. I can't even think about it. Oh my God. But 
you know, like they had mapped this out and it was like, oh, okay, like points to them. I like it when they do their homework. Carrie, what is your question for the group? There My go. question is, where did I put the piece of paper on which I wrote the question? <laughs> well, this is a good question. Can we do Claudia's Let's start there. <laughs> what? I have a lot of pieces of paper and none of them have the question on it. And they did about two minutes ago. Can we do Claudia's question and come back to me? Yes, of course. Okay, so I did two separate questions. One for oh. Shana, one for Carrie. Okay, for Shana. So you and I always laugh about the Shana stars and how you have a great rating system, or, or I consider it a great rating system, where I'm completely, you know, whatever, whatever the mood strikes me, and I don't keep good track of things. So can you go over what makes a, what makes a book a five-star for you? Uh, well, I would just say that I feel like you're not being nice enough to yourself. I think that you have a strategy too. It's not haphazard. You're just a nice, kind person. And I am someone who is mean. And that is why I give lower scores to books. <laughs> and you always have like that, such thoughtful reasons for why that book deserved a five. And I'm listening to your reasons. And I think, gosh, I'm an awful person. Who gave that book a two, even though I agree with you, Claudia? <laughs> it's uh, it. Well, what were you going to say? No, no, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. And I hope Sarah can cut this. I was going to say that you're not mean, but that's okay. <laughs> I can totally be mean. Well, I think five stars for me is, well, first, I feel like three stars is maybe like, five Claudia stars because three stars for me is it was a good book. I liked it. And then four is I loved it. And then five really is I loved it. Plus it was like so beautiful, like transcendent and rocked my world. Like really any book written by NK Jemison or Octavia Butler pretty much hits five stars. And so you have to really meet that standard for the writing. So it's not just that, like, I loved you, but, like, this was a life-changing experience. So I'm just a little stingy with those. But sometimes romance novels are great, and they totally meet that. Like, the ladies, what was it, the ladies' guide to celestial mechanics? Mechanics, yes. Yeah, that was a five-star book for me. I can't be nice every once in a while. All right, I, Claudia, what's your, what's your question for question Carrie? Question for Carrie. Well, Carrie, as you, know, as you know, I'm a big fan of your kick-ass women in history. So I wanted to know a little bit more about your process, how you find the women to profile and what goes into your decision-making. And sorry, quick, you know, addendum would be which one was your favorite so far this year? Okay, well, I'll do the last part first, which is that I recently finished reading A Woman of No Importance, um, which is a nonfiction about Virginia Hall, who was a spy um, for the French resistance in World War II France. And um, she went by lots of different code names, but Claus Barbie, may he burn in hell, referred to her as that limping Canadian bitch. She was not Canadian. That was like the only nationality that she wasn't. Um, but she called her limping because she only had one leg. And despite only having one leg, she um, did all this um, revolutionary stuff without being caught, including but not limited to hiking over the Pyrenees. Um, and so she is currently my favorite. And um, I do not aspire to be very like her, but I do limp a lot. And so I take a certain comfort in feeling like, you know, like, that's, that's like, you know, if, if somebody calls you that, like that's, that's, that's a term of honor there. I really love that. Um, we talked about her in my library book club and we felt that she was probably not a very easy person to hang out with, but that is because in the immortal words of Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, bitches get shit done and she got so much stuff done. She's amazing. So she is my current fave. As far as process, so I've tried to go about a month ahead. And one um, kind of recurrent problem I have is that I try to plan a lot of my smart bitch stuff way far ahead. And then sometimes that doesn't really jive with like what else is happening. But I try to have to kind of have 
you know, something in the pipeline all the time. It takes me a long time to write them. I want it to be um, representative in lots of different ways. So I'm always kind of running in my head, right? Like, did I do two white people in a row? Did I do two academics or two soldiers or two? There's lots of ways to be kick-ass, right? So I try to represent lots of different ways to be kick-ass. And so that's the biggest part is just trying to make it different. And and I have a bunch of books that are like, you know, compendiums of kick-ass women that honestly usually... By now, stuff just sort of pops up, like in my writing or whatever. Sometimes people send me suggestions, and I'm always happy to have the suggestions. And people should know that if I don't get to the suggestion, it's often because, you know, uh, it's it's too close to something else that I just wrote, and I'm trying to shake it up. And I would say my biggest challenge is trying to um, keep it diversified and and trying to identify the areas where it's not diversified in lots of different ways. And I don't think I do a fantastic job of that. I think I do a pretty good job, but I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I need to like make a chart and color code it or something, but I'm not a natural chart color coder person. So I'll have to like really sit down and nail it out. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? It does. And it's amazing. I had no idea. I mean, I knew it was, you know, a laborious, you know, thing that you did and that you put a lot of thought into it, but I, I didn't realize how much and, and makes it even makes me even more appreciative of it. Thank you. The other, I'll tell you guys the other challenge because I want to be kind of transparent about it. I would never intentionally commit plagiarism, but sometimes I'm writing about something where there's not a lot about them and there's only so many different ways to write. This person was born on this date and died in this state. Right? So that is always, and, you know, Sarah's kind of nodding because I'm transparent with her that I don't want to like just plagiarize an article or plagiarize Wikipedia. And you, it's shocking how easy it is to do it and not realize you're doing it. You know, it's not intentional, but all of a sudden you look at it, and you realize you wrote almost exactly what's in the article because that's what you're trying to convey. So trying to make sure that I include my sources, trying to make sure that I am rephrasing things in a way that is not plagiaristic trying to make sure that I highlight people who are really obscure. Like I try to avoid people who all, everyone already knows about. That's why I don't write about like, I don't know. Actually, I think I did write about the children in Madame Curie, but you know, uh, Joan of Arc, right? Everyone knows about Joan of Arc. So I won't do a column about Joan of Arc, but then there's the double bind in that is that the more obscure you get, the less there is to pull from and the harder it is to make it original. So that is something I'm always aware of and always struggling with and really hope I've done an okay job with because sometimes it's kind of scary. I think you should write more about already famous people. You should just write about the less famous things that they did. Like if you want to talk about uh, surprise queers, I'm always happy to read about surprise queers. Just make like Joan of Arc queer. Actually just make that up. Does this have to be accurate your yeah no it's supposed to be accurate oh um, yeah that's another thing is that a lot of times it's hard to figure out what's accurate and and you also have to be careful about this is another thing where sarah for god's sake cut me off because i'll talk for hours you have to be careful about queer erasure and other kinds of erasure but i would say queer erasure is the biggest kind right You also have to be careful about using modern language and concepts to describe somebody who wouldn't have thought about things that way themselves. So trying to find that balance can be surprisingly challenging in a way that I didn't expect until I got much more into um, queer history. And there's not like one answer. So so a lot of times I write about um, people who dressed as men to fight as soldiers. None of them would describe themselves as transgender because that was not a word. But some of them spent most of their adult life presenting as male. And so I would assume probably they were what we would currently think of as transgender. Other people only presented as male during the time of the war that they wanted to fight in and then went back to presenting as female. So for them, 
they may not have thought of themselves as male at all. They may have simply been doing something that was pragmatic for them at the time. So trying to represent people as honestly as I can and bringing things to light about them that I think needs to be brought to light. I don't want to contribute to queer erasure, but also helping people understand that the whole way that we think about things, it's just very difficult to like impose on other people and not always appropriate to impose on other people. That's a big struggle. Um, and then also a lot of people are really kick-ass and admirable in one way, but not in another way, or they were super kick-ass, but not on the right side. I mean, that, that I have to be careful about. And I think about a lot. So yeah, there's so a they lot were of human. Right. Yeah. Um, it certainly has helped me learn a lot, an enormous amount. And I feel really privileged to get to have had that learning process. I like I like Shana's idea. I think I think you should do people who you might consider famous, but not everyone would know about them. That's selfish for me because I really rarely read nonfiction. I like nonfiction articles, and I just think it's very rare that a book should be a book and not an article. <laughs> so I want you to read the books and then distill them into a cute post about these people for me to read. You do a couple of hours. I have gotten kind of in trouble at home because I've gotten kind of snobby because by now I'm like, well, so-and-so is. And actually, no, you know who so-and-so is? Nerds. This specific <laughs> type of nerd. The science nerd I live with? No. Other kinds of nerds? No. So, yeah, it is true that I'm like, well, I can write about so-and-so. Everyone knows who so-and-so is. No, everybody doesn't know who so-and-so is. Don't assume that. <laughs> Okay, did you find your question, Carrie? I did. I did. <laughs> okay, so this is for both Shana and Claudia. How has reading helped you this year? And if there were times when it was difficult to read, what else was helpful to you in terms of both mental health and just entertainment? Who wants to go first? I think Claudia does. <laughs> Shana, thank you for putting me on the spot. <laughs> Oh, goodness. This was a really tough year, to say the least, right? Oh, it's, um, I did a lot of rereading. There were times that I think I mentioned it before, like I, I, it was a situation that was not the book, but me. I just wasn't in a good frame of mind and I gave up on the book or I skimmed and read the epilogue or, you know, something like that. And so... It was strange because reading is so much part of what I do, and one of my you know, one of the few things that that I consider you know something I do regularly and enjoy regularly and able to do it regularly. And there were times that it wasn't there for me, so that was really unsettling. There were times that just you know the only thing was to sleep. You know, putting a f one foot in front of the other, keep going, don't think too much, you know, what's next. So the, the comfort reads were good. And when that wasn't available, just mindless, you know, TV watching, baking, things of that nature. How about you, Shana? I think, you know, I also had trouble reading at points, especially earlier on in the pandemic. I remember just watching hours and hours of television. Like that was how I was kind of filling the days. I think in that like first lockdown, particularly. And I did do a lot of rewatching. So it's funny because I was so skeptical of rereading, but I did so much rewatching. I rewatched Dicker of Dibley for the third time. And I watched a whole bunch of British mystery shows. I think I might have rewatched Vera multiple times as well. It's just funny because I can't handle police shows that are based in the US. They just make me really upset. But something about like, British crime shows just really works for me. And they're a little bit longer. And yeah, just all the dynamics of them. Particularly, I think the fact that they don't usually have guns really helps make them feel less violent. So I rewatched Shetland. Oh, and then of course I did a lot of knitting. So I learned to knit this year and that was really exciting. And I knit a lot. And then when I rewatched Shetland, 
I had fun naming the stitches that I saw in the sweaters. And my wife was very tolerant of that. (laughs) Especially when like, there's a couple episodes where they go to Fair Isle. And I started screaming like, Fair Isle's a real place. (laughs) It's not just sweaters. (laughs) Yeah, I was real cute. So that's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. So I highly re- uh, suggest watching Shetland <laughs> for knitters. And it just really made me appreciate like the costume work that went into communicating things about the characters based on the sweaters they were wearing. Like the people who were outsiders would be wearing these like non-Shetland style sweaters, like all swanky from London. That's how you knew they didn't belong there. So it was, it was very enjoyable. But I think actually in the recent months, I've really gotten back into reading, which is weird. I feel like as somehow as things got worse in the pandemic, I actually found it easier to read. I think earlier on when I was just kind of anxiously anticipating things getting bad, the anxiety made it hard to read. Mm-hmm. But like once it was clear things are really bad, then I actually started reading more and I don't know, being more ruthless, I think, in my selections too. Mm-hmm. Where really within one page, like I'm done. So <laughs> I have so many um, DNFs on my list this year. Like I don't know, I didn't count them, but it has to be over half the books that I started. Maybe like two thirds. I just if I'm not feeling it, like the first couple paragraphs, then I just don't feel any responsibility to actually dive in and read it. And so I think that's actually made my reading better because I only read things that I love. I mean, if there is anything that this year has made very clear is uh, life is very short and it can be incredibly limited all of a sudden. So I hear you. Carrie, could you do me a favor? My brain is a little fried and my brain has just gone off on a wild journey thinking about the answer to your question. And I'm pretty sure that the answer that I have is not in any way related to your question. My brain just went on quite a journey. Fair Isle was involved. So could you please repeat the question? I'm sorry. Now I really want to hear what journey your brain went on. (laughs) I know. I'm really curious. That's more interesting than... (laughs) Are we going to the Shetland Islands together? Yes. (laughs) So uh, the original question, which I hope you don't answer, I hope you just tell us where your brain went, was (laughs) how has reading been helpful to you this year and if there were times when it was difficult for you to read because I know for a lot of people like they hit a point where they just know um what else was helpful to you in terms of mental health and entertainment so where my brain went was oh reading that was helpful Sometimes it was reading that completely distracted me and reminded me that people have had to endure terrible things all through history. So in early in the pandemic, I was reading the CAD file series, which takes place in medieval Wales, where they had actual anarchy um, and, you know, a, a, an ingrown toenail could kill you. And no, nothing moved very fast at all. Everything was very slow paced. And that was very reassuring. Um, and then you were talking about knitting and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I did sew this year. I learned to quilt and I learned to sew and I like that a lot. And, but you know, I haven't traveled, so maybe I want to travel more in my reading. But then if I travel in my reading, I get really sad because I can't actually travel and go to the places that are in the book. And then if I read the thing and it's not accurate, much like you were talking about California, then I get really annoyed because, well, you can't travel to a place that's not real. And if you're saying that you're somewhere and you're not actually doing the research to prove that you're there, then why are we here? And, and um, that was when I'm pretty sure I had lost the thread of the question. But I do want to go to the Shetland Isles, like real bad. I, I think you followed the thread. I, <laughs> that, was, that was spot on, right? Everything we do this year, right? Like there's, there's what is necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have actual Very. jobs. Right, I kick ass women column every month, right? So <laughs> I'm looking those up. But so there's what's necessary, and then there's like what sparks joy, and then like everything else is not Frog emoji. Yeah, for, like for me, um, one thing that helped a lot is if I could, if if I could give everyone in the world a piece of advice, it would be 
think very carefully if, about turning a hobby that brings you joy into your job. I love my job. I love what I do. I love that this is what I do for my job. I am deeply, deeply grateful and love what I do so much. But when I am reading a romance, it is very difficult now for me to turn off the part of my brain that's like, hmm, should we review this? What are we thinking of this? Well, wait, does this remind you of that other thing? And well, this character said that and what's happening? I keep engaging the analytical brain when I'm reading by default. And what helped me with that, because I was too tired, my brain was too tired to do any kind of analytical work. And then I would start that sort of spiral of you're not doing this right, you're not reading correctly, you are not reading in the right way, which, oh, for God's sake, Sarah's brain, calm down. What I would do is I would leave the genre for a little while. I read a lot of space fiction. I read a lot of AIs. I read Murderbot like 11 whole times. So I left the genre and came back and then left and then came back. And right now I'm rereading the whole Sight Changeling series. Let me tell you, early 2000s PNR heroes, as Ari and I were, Aria and I were emailing about this, early 2000s paranormal heroes are something. <laughs> I think like that you're not recommending them. I didn't like them back then, so I just don't think I'm going to like them more now. I, I sort of, because I know what happens later in the series, and I know how these characters develop and change over the course of the series. And the series is going on for like 20 years now. So I can see, okay, this character is a product of the 2000s. And when I encounter that character in books written more recently, I'm like, oh, yes, clearly this character has taken a level in, in awareness and not being a possessive, stompy, pouty butt cheese. But something about that series is working really, really well for me. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> there are things where I'm reading it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 2004. I remember this. <laughs> I remember that phrase from sex scenes. I'm glad I don't see that anymore. <laughs> so that's definitely what helped me the most, leaving the genre and coming back. And the nice thing is I'm not going to run out of books. There's a lot of them. I don't know if you've noticed, like since we were started recording, probably like 60 have been published. So, you know, I'm not going to run out. Did anybody else find that no matter what genre they read and no matter what book they read, there ended up being some kind of disease in it? Like, I was oh my scary. gosh. Everything had a plague. And I was like, how? How? Like every book I picked up. And it's not like I was like, plague dystopia, that's what I'm going to read. Like, it didn't matter. It could be like a, a fluffy romance. And they'd be like, well, we have an outbreak of, of fevers in this town. We'll have to brew some tea. And I'm like, yeah, you're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, two rogues make a right. Is that the Cat's Bastard book? <laughs> I mean, I loved that book. That book was everything. It was so adorable. But the hero had consumption. And the other hero who was healthy at the beginning of the book kept kissing him. And like every time I could not take it, like every single time. And there's all this like snuggling and talking about the future. And I'm thinking, what future? Because you're about to die. We all know that was rough. Also, they were also in a quarantine of sorts, right? They they went nowhere. Yes. They were in yes. a little cottage for the whole time. Just breathing for ninety percent. I like that book. I loved it. <laughs> I have to have my mute on, and you can't see me. But I'm laughing so hard because we've been listening to that book club. And and I read as you know because I just said so. Like black is some history, right? And I gotta tell you, like. That's that's not really a great hobby to mix with romance, it turns out, because every five seconds you're like, okay, but the reason you got to get into that nice bath at three in the morning and you were like, oh my God, that guy was so generous to pour me a hot bath at 3 a.m. is because an 11-year-old girl had to wake up and haul buckets of water from the basement, and then nobody wants to talk to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think I have been shifting in the direction of contemporary romance, where it's at least easier to know the horrible things up front, and I can make decisions about whether I'm reading them or not. 
I also like space and the future set romances because there's always an element of, oh, thank goodness that survived and that other thing didn't. Like in Murderbot, um, pan relationships and multi-partner marriages are just like normal. He's in a three-way marriage. He's got seven kids. Like, you know, that's, that's not even remarkable. It's just how many. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's one, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but at the same time, the the general ineptitude of humanity to adjust to things that are different remains quite difficult. <laughs> well, but some humans are able to adjust to things that are difficult and different, like the heroine in Strange, Strange Love. Strange Love, yeah. Where yeah. there's all that great that alien one. sex. That's right, Claudia. You're going to read it in 2021. <laughs> oh, Claudia. You and me. No, I will. I will. It's even on sale. So I'll, I'll pick it up. Yeah, it's on sale today. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah. Talking dog, talking dog. I should buy that book. I you should gift it. it. Library, you should, you should gift. You should buy it and you should gift it. I love doing that, by the way. When a book is on sale, I just send it to friends. And they're like, oh, you got me a book. I'm like, first of all, it was $2. And second of all, I don't expect you to read it. But yeah, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Can I talk about one highlight of the year for me? Yes, like, of course. Related to your interview with Mary Ballock. Oh, it was gosh. so hilarious. I loved it. And, you know, just knowing about the white shirt covers was priceless. And I, and I, I just really enjoyed that one. So I wanted to make Thank sure I want to mention it. And how, you know, talking about people who take risks, she took a lot of them, especially early in her career. So it was fun. It was a really, really fun podcast. I was so nervous. My inner 13 year old was not cool. She was very stressed about that. I mean, there were a couple of interviews this this year where I sat down to do them and there was a part of me going, okay, just breathe. Okay, just breathe. It's going to be fine. Breathe in. Breathe. I don't blame you. I wouldn't be able to get a word out. It's a Mary, just talk, please. <laughs> And you're the biggest fan girl of Mary. I love it, Claudia. <laughs> it was such a delight. And I loved some of her answers. Like not only to how much she hated those, oh those chesty shirt ch- questions or the ch- covers, but also that she's like, well, I'm older and I'm tired and it's easier for me to keep writing about the same family rather than invent a whole nude one. So I'm sticking with these people. That's why. You, uh, you guys, yeah, you guys are going to have to deal with it. 20 and I'm books. like, you know what? That's fine. Westcott's for days. Don't care. Works for me. Thanks, Mary. All good. <laughs> I love doing that interview. I was so nervous. Oh my goodness. But I'm really glad that you liked it. I hope that was one that would uh, would make you happy. Yeah. Were you on a video call with her or was it over the phone? No, it was actually Zoom, but by phone. Well, even if it's audio, I prefer just to imagine that you were in person. So right now I'm imagining you and Mary in her tea room in Canada. I I like this. Keep going. Yeah, sounds great. There's going to be scones (laughs) and, you know, delicious jasmine tea a discussion about whether you want milk or not. Should the milk go in first or not? I'm mm. sure that conversation probably happened before you ate your scones and then you had your doilies. next little set. Oh, oh yeah, definitely doilies. Sweaters. Absolutely. Lemon curd lemon for curd. sure, Gary. <laughs> All the way, lemon curd. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Happy New Year again. I hope you've enjoyed our small, silly recaps of 2020. And I can tell you that next week's episode features Dr. Devin Price, author of the book Laziness Does Not Exist, which, if you read the website, might have seen me review it and give it an A, because I really liked it. I'm very excited to share this interview with you. I hope that you tune in next week. I will have links to all of the books we discussed, and I also have a list of titles that Carrie recommends for Claudia that are all set in San Francisco. So if you would like to take a look at the list, it is at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. If you are thinking, I know this song. Yes, you do. It is a Deste Fiddles version of Favorite Things by Deviations Project. If you would like a link to buy the album for yourself, it's in the show notes. As always, I end with a terrible joke, and this joke is a bit of a story, but I told it this morning, and, uh, well, my husband laughed his face off, so I'm going to share it with you. This is a bit of advice for writers looking for character names. 
You may not be aware of this. Lance is an uncommon name these days. But in medieval times, people were called Lance a lot. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> people were called Lance a lot. <laughs> that is from Reddit's Dad Jokes Forum, posted by Tadashi4. Thank you, person of excellence. <laughs> so silly. If you would like to send me a bad joke, you know I would love to hear it. You can send it to me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or Sarah with an H, S-A-R-A-H at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. I do love hearing from you. And on behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading and a very restful weekend. We'll be back next week, but until then, stay warm and stay safe. Happy New Year again, and thank you for listening. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.